Welcome to Rich Black Woman, where we empower women to be rich in mind, body, and bank. I'm your host, Yaz, creator and founder of Rich Black Woman, and I am excited to bring you inspiring guests from around the world who will enrich your life from the inside out. And every week, we talk with changemakers who will nourish your soul, your intellect, and enrich your bottom line. Ladies, it's time to bring the bank. I'm super excited um, to join and uh, be a welcoming uh, host to our next guest on the Rich Black Woman podcast, and it is Charlene Wheelis. She is a communications expert, author, and speaker with more than three decades of experience in business, corporate affairs, and communications. She leads her own namesake communications and business advisory firm. Uh, Charlene is also the Senior Advisor for Equity and Justice at APCO Worldwide, a global advisory and advocacy communications consultancy firm, and she counsels clients on issues of equity, justice, diversity, and inclusion. And I couldn't think of a more uh, relevant topic for the season that we are in here, 2020, fall of 2020, just one week after the election of the first female vice president of the United States of America, and also the first woman of color, uh, Kamala Harris, being both Black and Indian. What a wonderful and beautiful combination. And I am thrilled to speak with you, Charlene, to gain your insight and expertise for such a time as this that we are in. And in particular, because in this post-George Floyd world, where so many corporations have had their own eyes opened to many of the issues that have always been there, but really an awakening has happened here in the United States. And it was on the heels of several very traumatic, um, very visible events of just racial violence here in our country. But with that came some very good positive movement and a lot of work and conversations being had in regards to diversity, equity, inclusion, and what does that look like in corporate America? And so Charlene, just with your experience, I really just kind of want to open it up for you to share with us a little bit about what you do and what's your response to that? Mm -hmm. You know, what is your response? Well, okay. There are a lot of questions in there, Um, but I want to start with the most recent, of course, with the vice president-elect Kamala Harris. Uh, which, of course, is a positively uh, watershed moment for our country. Um, Certainly, I never thought that I would see it in my lifetime. And I have a a daughter who's 26, and she and I had been talking about it. And uh, when Kamala Harris gave her first speech as the vice president-elect, Uh, my daughter and I were both on the phone crying because we thought, you know, she thought she'd never see it in her life as well. And I thought that was really sad given that she was 26 years old. So I am just uh, so thrilled that we were all able to, uh, to witness that. And I think more importantly, to um, be able to say with confidence that, you know, love one over hate. Uh, because I do think that our country has been divided by hate over the last several years. And yeah. uh, 
you know, and it's just been so um, fantastic to see that love can win because I, I had my doubts, <clears throat> to be quite honest. I, and particularly, you know, coming off of the murder of George Floyd, which, uh, you know, was appalling uh, at a minimum, uh, but to some extent, I'm thankful that uh, so many people were uh, glued to their television sets, whether they wanted to be or not, and they saw what it was like to be a black person in America and they couldn't turn their heads and pretend that it wasn't happening. There was no longer any opportunity for denial. Uh, and quite frankly, that woke everybody up, including uh, business leaders. And uh, if you looked at any of the surveys that had, had been done uh, in the COVID world, but prior to um, the George Floyd murder, most companies were saying that they had put DNI into the background. You know, they were so focused on COVID. Yep. After the George Floyd murder, um, that changed. Uh, certainly COVID is, was and still is an issue for us. Uh, but organizations and company leaders started paying much more attention to um, not just problems around diversity and inclusion, but around racism in businesses. Uh, and then also started to realize that, um, you know, COVID was disproportionately affecting uh, black and brown people and especially black people. So this is really a watershed moment for our country. It is indeed. And, you know, I think of all this lived experience that you have uh, being such a senior black woman. And I know you and I have talked before just about being perhaps probably the only woman of color, um, mm -hmm. the only black woman in very, you know, all white spaces, lacking that diversity. How do you see that changing with this new focus on DNI work? And do you think that there are some companies doing it right? Uh, yes. So I think that, uh, I think there are three types of companies right now. I think there are companies who, committed to this a long time ago and have been moving and are a bit more mature. Um, not that they've reached the goal, but they're a bit more mature. Um, <clears throat> there are companies that are saying, okay, we, we have to do something. This is much more than a business imperative. This becomes a well-being imperative about our employees. And then there's the third piece, which are the companies that truly think that it's only a numbers game. Uh, and I believe those are the companies that are going to lose. Uh, a, one company that I feel, uh, or two, that I feel really strongly about, um, one is uh, Procter & Gamble, uh, who I think are doing um, amazing things in this space. And they decided many, many years ago that they were going to take on um, racism head on and bias head on. And they did so with many of their uh, commercials that they run. They are the largest. Um, advertiser in the world from a spend perspective, and they're using that to bring about positive change. And when the um, George Floyd murder happened, along with Ahmaud Aubrey, and uh, we all remember the situation in, uh, in New York City, rather than uh, PNG putting out an announcement like many others saying, you know, we don't agree with this, this is, you know, awful behavior, 
they actually on their website put up a number of resources to help educate people on the Black experience and to help them understand why this moment is so different than others. Uh, another company that comes to mind uh, is also consumer-based is uh, General Mills, uh, which put in place many years ago a, um, an effort called Uncomfortable Conversations, and, or, um, or maybe they call theirs Courageous Conversations, excuse me, but it was a construct that they put in place so that they could very quickly pull their employees together and have very honest conversations about race and bias and what's going on uh, in our country. And of course, uh, George Floyd happened in Minnesota where General Mills is located. So you can only imagine how, um, <clears throat> how raw that, yeah. uh, that was for them um, on so many, uh, so many different levels. Uh, so I'm really pleased to see that. I, I think that uh, the tech companies the technology companies are finally picking up and saying, oh, we need to do something. Yeah. You know, and, and as I talk to CEOs and business leaders and, you know, they're, they're trying to figure out what they're going to do and how they should approach it and what's the right thing to say, et cetera. And I just stop them and say two things. One is the worst thing you can do is nothing, right? Yep. So don't spend so much time talking about what you should do because in that time, it looks like you're doing nothing. I said, and secondly, recognize that your people are at risk. And if your people are at risk, your business is at risk. So this is not about should we do something. This is purely about what you're going to do, when you're going to do it, and how you're going to measure it. Oh, that's really good. I like what you, what you said there, Charlene, in terms of recognizing that their own employees are at risk. And so mm -hmm. therefore their business is at risk Absolutely. and it, it makes sense, you know, and I think that's the connection that for too many um, folks in leadership have failed to see, right. That mm -hmm. um, it impacts their, their talent, their most valuable assets that, mm -hmm. um, you know, they poured so much into, right. And that um, you want to create a safe place for all of your employees to thrive. And then the fact that that does have a bearing on your business. And so if they're able to come and fully show up um, mm -hmm. and feel safe at work, but also feel safe in their environment. I can recall, I know right after, you know, um, the George Floyd murder and just kind of the back-to-back the -back atrocities that we saw, mm -hmm. I felt, you know, very fearful of just normally kind of walking in my neighborhood by myself, right? right? right. And I realized that other of my African-American girlfriends felt the same way. Mm -hmm. And so we ended up, you know, coming together and having our, a, a walking club. But I, I shared that with a colleague and um, who is not Black and she, you know, it really disturbed her that that was happening. And so I think, you know, it's eye opening for folks. And I think in a lot of ways, we as people of color need to share those experiences more with people who seem to be open to learning. Right. Because we hold so much in. Mm -hmm. And I think that that does a disservice to folks who are not having these same experiences, because they need to understand 
that their silence or their co-signing on things, maybe even unbeknownst to them, right? right. Non-intentionally has impact and a bearing mm-hmm. on our lives. So I, I love that you tie that back to the business imperative. What would you say, Charlene, for, you know, you, you described three kind of cohorts of mm-hmm. organizations, those that really had started this work long before, you know, and so therefore have a much more matured experience. And because of that, they probably have the people in place, right? And the infrastructure in place to act quickly Mm -hmm. and to know what to say and do in the moment. For those organizations that don't have any infrastructure, um, you know, who maybe were challenged and stalled and didn't understand the moment, what would you say for folks who are working at those mm-hmm. types of organizations. Right. So those companies are actually the companies that I prefer to work with right now. Uh, and the reason why is because they, uh, unfortunately, but maybe fortunately, they're starting at the beginning. And so what I have the opportunity to talk to those uh, companies and those leaders about is one, it's okay to be um, uncomfortable right? That it's just time to get comfortable with being uncomfortable because this is not going to feel natural and normal to you. Uh, And also to understand that, you know, diversity and inclusion is not a numbers game. It's not about how many Black people you have in your company, because what happens then is you create um, what I've been most of my career, which is called the only, right? And that is a very um, isolating place to be. It's not a productive place to be. Uh, And uh, quite frankly, it's hard. So with companies who haven't started at all or really have just dipped their toe in the water, I always ask them to take a step back and let's not start with diversity and inclusion. Let's start with systemic bias and systemic racism because it is is impossible for systemic racism to have existed in our company for 400 years, and it has not seeped into your workforce. So, um, you know, so before you start hiring a chief diversity officer that reports into HR, why don't we take a step back and look at some of the systems and the processes in your company that um, are working exactly the way they were set up? which is to disenfranchise and marginalize a large percentage of your, of your population. So let's start there and let's do the research and say, you know, how, how is it that, you know, we can assume that talent is equally distributed yet opportunity in your organizations are not, right? And let's look at the data, yeah. how, how quickly are black and brown people moving through your company and achieving success? You know, are they paid equally? And do you find yourself easily being able to understand why that is? Or are you trying to spin an explanation for it? Right. And so uh, I really try good. to hold up a mirror to companies. And uh, it was interesting with my business when, um, when George Floyd was first murdered and um, And it was interesting because CEOs and heads of businesses would call me and they'd say, well, you know, George Floyd was was killed and I feel like I need to say something. And I would stop them in their tracks. And I'd say, first off, let's agree. George Floyd was murdered. That was an an intentional Mm. murder. 
you know, in my world of communications, words matter. So let's use the right word. Yeah. And, so, and then, of course, obviously, you, you know, there, the initial thing was that you have to, you know, you make statements, um, hopefully that you believe, right, that are coming from a place of empathy and compassion. Uh, I tell my CEOs, you need to behave as a human first and a CEO second. Uh, and then the, um, the third thing is, you know, people would call and say, hey, can you help me with our DE&I program? And my response was always no. I said, I cannot help you with your DE&I program, but if you want to talk about racial bias in your organization, I'm your girl. And so that's really where my, um, my business has been focused. And I also counsel employees who, um, who are at companies where they see it, but they're waiting for something to happen. And I say to them, we're going to assume that your leadership still doesn't see this. So as we're waiting to figure out who's going to bring this to light, if not you, then who? Right? Mm. So take a yeah. deep breath walk into, you know, your boss or the CEO, you know, go as high as you can go. I mean, you know, just go have the conversation and say, you know, I don't think our people are, are well, and that puts our business at risk. And I think we need to talk about this. All right. Yeah, that's really good. Um, Charlene. And so for those folks that you just described where, you know, I love that you said, I'm going to assume that your leadership are not aware mm -hmm. and you're coaching that person to approach leadership, you know, and to try to influence and kind of, you know, lift the scales from their eyes. How do you, how would you coach that person in a space where maybe they don't feel like it's going to be well-received or there potentially could be backlash? Mm -hmm. So, um, and that's always a tough one. Um, but I believe in, um, I, I have a little rule that I live by when I want to do something and I'm afraid to do it. And I call it um, seven seconds of courage, right? And so mm. when I need to do something, I just say to myself, I need to take a deep breath. And all I need is seven seconds of courage to get that conversation started. And if I get shut down, I'm no worse off than I was before. But if I don't get shut down, I've made a huge difference, right? I've started a conversation that needs to get started. And for employees who are worried that there is going to be some kind of backlash um, on it, um, and that does happen, um, you know, we have to be realistic. I ask them to really think about what it is they want out of their life and their career. And if they are working for a company right now that literally is pretending like what's going on isn't going on, it's time to leave, right? I mean, and, and that's a hard thing to do, especially now in COVID, we all need our jobs. We need to hold on to our jobs, but you know what? We need to ho hold on to our humanity more. Wow, that's powerful, Charlene. I love that. So good. I love seven seconds of courage. Yeah, that's, 
and just um, that's my thing I tell yeah. you every, every time any conversation big or small I just tell myself take a deep breath and I can get this out in seven seconds that's awesome such a good philosophy you know I've heard also you know do it afraid mm -hmm. but I love that seven seconds of courage because it's taking it down to like something you can tangibly do and I love what you said, like, you're no worse off, you know, if it doesn't go anywhere, you're no worse off, right. you're, you know, same place you were, but the possibility that you could be further. And then I love the punctuation point, you know, period with the T that we say <laughs> in our culture. And that is, you know, hey, bye, Felicia, right. if you aren't receiving what I know to be, you know, correct and authentic. And I love what you said about being true to yourself and, you know, um, focusing in on your humanity mm -hmm. and being at a place where you can be that authentically. And I feel like now, Charlene, is the best time for that, right? Like if ever there was a time where like Black people are, um, you know, currency, I feel like now might be that time to take yeah, that risk, absolutely. right? Um, Absolutely. God yeah. has given us an opportunity and, um, and we mm. need to take it because it just does not happen often. Yeah. Yeah. I've been telling folks, you know, this is 2020 and it was clearly a year that God is trying to give us 2020 vision. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and just stripping everything to bare bone, you know, first with COVID then with Ahmaud Arbery, then with George Floyd, you know, um, Amy Cooper, um, so many things just back to back, Breonna Taylor, and so many other countless fallen um, people of color. Um, so really good words of wisdom. I guess I would say, you know, how do you see this space changing? Like for folks who want to get into the, D the DEI space, I know I have seen a lot of companies recruiting for you know, DEI directors and officers, what wisdom would you have there? You know, and, and I see it as well. Um, yes. And I tell you that it concerns me a bit because while I believe we all, everybody, we need to focus on this effort. I worry that if we only think about it from the standpoint of um, diversity, equity, and inclusion, it becomes a talent management issue. Um, going back to what I said earlier about it being a numbers game, you know, how many minorities, yeah. how many black people do we have in our company? And um, it doesn't matter how many black people you have in your company if you aren't listening to them, right? If you aren't taking advantage of the different perspectives uh, that people have, and it's not just, it's not just black people, but it's not enough to have more black people in your company, which it's a good place to start, don't get me wrong. Uh, but you also have to dismantle the, um, the structures that have kept people from being successful. And, um, and so I, I'm thrilled that people are paying more attention to diversity and inclusion. But quite frankly, if we take care of systemic racism and bias, we won't need diversity and inclusion efforts at all. Uh, and so, wow, that's really good. You know, so I, I really try to get people, you know, let's not focus on the symptoms. Let's focus on the problem. Yeah. Um, can you talk about 
I know there's been some fear, particularly, you know, as the old president, um, not too long ago, I guess it was late summer, had written an executive order that said, you know, no more uh, federally funded diversity training. So for organizations getting federal funds, no more diversity training. And there was a chilling effect. I know I've seen several articles and different universities kind of in this perplexed state of, you know, does this mean we can't do this particular program or have this particular outreach? What, what are you hearing on the street? And do you feel like that executive order even has any teeth? Are people overreacting to it? And given that now we have a new president-elect who we know is more on the side of diversity and supporting uh, people of color, how will that change? So I practically ignored the executive order, <laughs> let's be quite honest. <laughs> As when, we should, when, right? As we should. Out, because I think that initially people were afraid because they acted, they reacted to it on face value. But if you uh, took some time and really dug into the executive order, what became very quickly apparent is that the uh, current president was um, opposing racist theory um, or race theory rather and his definition and explanation of race theory was so wrong from what the real definition is that to me it just took all the teeth um, out of it now um, that doesn't mean that you know that people who are in the government didn't have to pay attention but quite frankly, it would take time to unravel those, the trainings that were already going on. So my, um, you know, my personal reaction to it was just disappointment um, because it felt like another huge step backwards. Uh, but once I dug into it a bit more, you know, I, I really took on kind of the attitude of we're just going to wait this out. You know, at this point, we're just a few months away from a new election, uh, and I, what I believed was going to be a new president-elect, uh, and let's not spend our energy following this other gentleman down the rat hole, right, when it, re when it really yeah. didn't make any sense at all. So, it, so initially, it felt like another blow, but in reality there was really no teeth to it. And, and, you know, and yeah. if you just thought about it, you knew it was going to get reversed, you know, but I, I think with the, yeah. if I could say, I, you know, I think with the new, um, the president elect and the vice president elect, that something that has happened that I think is so important that I, I, I really want people to understand what's going on. So, um, you know, uh, President-elect Joe Biden had been the vice president to Barack Obama. And when um, President Obama was elected, I think we all had such a sense of hope. And, um, and for many people, that hope was dashed because, you know, we went from Obama to Trump. And I'd like to remind people that when we had President Obama and Vice President Biden, Biden was very much a mentor to President Obama, and he was someone who hmm. who could help President Obama um, kind of you know maneuver his way through being president, 
um, uh, President Obama has come out recently with his book coming out saying that, you know, there were times that he sent Joe Biden to negotiate for things because he felt that Joe could be more successful because of the color of his skin and because he was part of um, uh, part of the fabric already, right, of the institution. Now we have President-elect Biden who has purposefully chosen Kamala Harris. So he has gone from being a mentor to being a champion. And that is huge. And that should be a signal, I believe, to companies that white men have to become champions for black women and black men in order for us to succeed. Right. And I, Oh, that's so good. You know, that's a point that that's not talked about and that's fine that it isn't talked about, but I really want CEOs and companies to recognize that, that what is making the difference is the fact that he is championing her. He is using his authority and his credibility to bring her along. And that's what we need to see happen in life in general and in business. That's so spot on. I love how you just translated that. And, you know, I never looked at it that way. And I think absolutely. Um, now I see that very clearly and how he is privileged, right? There's a lot of conversation around how do white people be anti-racist or how do they be um, how do they be um, champions, as you right. put it so eloquently? And that's really what it's about. You know, mm-hmm. how do you move from being an ally to an activist and using your privilege and power to expand these spaces for other talented uh, people of color? And so mm-hmm. I'm excited now with what you just <laughs> said. I, mean, I was already excited because I'm like, you know, um, Kamala's going to be also the first next um, president as well right. is my projection. Uh-huh. But, um, you know, seeing that partnership, and I think that'll be something for us to be watchful of over the next uh, four years is how that, how they interplay, right? right? Mm-hmm. And they help to make each other better and our country better. Right. And that's truly what it's about mm-hmm. is everybody being free to bring their full selves, working collaboratively together to truly make our country great, right? Um, Okay. So Charlene, I know from my own experience, you know, often, as you put it, being the only person in the corporate space of color, and you have recently um, been embarking on a new book forthcoming based off of one of your lectures titled Lessons from Being Invisible. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? I know um, so many women of color and men of color can um, find shared experience of being the only one. What are you talking Mm -hmm. about in this lecture and in your forthcoming book? So I, I learned probably about 10 years into my career that there were things that were continuing to happen both to me and uh, when I opened my eyes to other people. And there's this sense that particularly when you're an only, you know, now that you're in the room, right, we've done that, the company can check off the box and move on. And that black women again and again um, are being made to feel invisible. We're not listened to, we have a voice. 
And, um, and that slowly erodes um, not just our ability to do our job, but our confidence uh, in ourselves and people like us. So I started capturing these different experiences. And, uh, and then I created this series called um, Lectures from Being Invisible. And I talk about what it feels like to be invisible uh, in, the, in corporate America uh, and some of the repercussions for that. And then in the book, I also talk about, you know, here are the strategies that, um, that I use to be able to propel my career forward um, and refusing to be unseen, refusing to be invisible. And so I wrote the book uh, because I, my hope is that other women, uh, minorities, and particularly female minorities will um, read this book and say, I don't have to deal with this. There is another way to get through this, to be accepted, to be appreciated, and to, quite frankly, demand to be heard. And so that's, um, so that's really the bulk of my book. And I tell you just a quick story. I, um, I wrote the book shortly after um, having gone through about um, three years of, uh, of a cancer treatment and uh, cancer-related complications. And uh, when I went back to work, I um, saw that the life I had was no longer the life that I wanted. And I, I wasn't sure what that was going to mean, but I walked away from my, um, quite frankly, seven-figure corporate job. And I said, you know, this is not what I'm meant to do anymore. And so I thought that I would write a book about the challenges, particularly in being a Black woman, of going through cancer treatment, um, because there are unique issues to that. Uh, but then I decided that no, I had more to say, and it was more around being a black female executive and what that means and what it doesn't mean. Because at the end of the day, just because you're at the table does not mean that you're welcome there. Mm. Okay. Right? Yeah. And so, you know, I, I wouldn't say that my book is a step-by-step -step guide but it's really all about, you know, putting on your big girl pants and realizing that, you know, your road is going to be different than, you know, your white friend, female friend next to you. Um, but you can succeed, you can prosper, uh, and you can thrive. And you can reclaim your life and your career on your own terms with unapologetic authenticity. Wow, I love that. And it's so timely. It's so needed. We need this book. When is it dropping? Because we so, need it pronto. I know, don't we though? It's, um, so the book will, I believe it drops in, um, in late January, early February, and it will go up for pre-sales uh, at the end of this month. Oh, excellent. Okay. Yes. Yes, so we can sure. pre-order it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, well, be sure yeah. to share that pre-order information with us so that we can share on our social media and make sure, you know, that what a great, um, you know, Christmas gift for folks that they can then mm -hmm. get, you know, at the beginning of the year, especially as folks are thinking about what new goals they want for 2021 uh, right. and 
to your point, you know, reclaiming the life that you deserve. And I love, you know, that you also are entitled to, um, you know, and being heard. That is so important for your soul, you know, Mm -hmm. and to live freely, right. And to have that liberty um, and freedom in who you are. And I think for too long, if anything, 2020 has shown us too, that we also need to be our authentic selves, right? That it is a slow death when we are not able to be heard, to be present. I know so many folks can relate to, you know, often probably being one of the smartest people in the room. I I think Mm -hmm. in particular as people of color and uh, minorities, oftentimes because we are dealing with scarcity, we Mm -hmm. have become, you know, masters of doing a lot um, and doing a lot with, Um, grace and agility. And it is often overlooked. And you mentioned, you know, not appreciated. And so how do we bring that and make sure that we are in a place of um, being recognized for that? You know, everybody can relate to I know myself and experience where you just said something, and then the person next to you says the same thing you just said, and then is attributed to them, right? Right. Um, And they're brilliant, right? You said it, and it was crickets. Right. But then yes. they say it and it's like, oh my gosh, that's a great idea. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I know your book will probably talk about those instances as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Does. Well, this has been a fabulous conversation. Um, I, I really have some good nuggets. And I love, Charlene, that you were taking CEOs. And having them take a step back and look at the framework, right? Because that's what our country is trying to do now is look at the frameworks Mm -hmm. that are in place that are creating the disparities. And we address those and then the rest follow suit. So such profound words. I'm going to be looking also much more closely at the relationship between President-elect Biden and President-VP, Madam Secretary-elect Kamala Harris um, with this new kind of um, championing relationship and mentor relationship. I think that's really insightful. So I appreciate and um, and grateful that you chose Rich Black Woman um, to connect with us and share your wisdom and your, your pearls of wisdom. Where can folks reach out to you if they want to connect with you professionally? Um, perhaps they have, you know, their own um, coaching they would like mm-hmm. to get, or perhaps their organizations could benefit from your expertise? Sure. So um, obviously I'm all over LinkedIn um, as uh, Charlene Wheelis. And then also um, my website, which is charlenewheelis.biz, B-I-Z. They can reach me there, uh, sign up for uh, for my newsletter, which basically doesn't mean you have to get the newsletter, but that's what lets me know that you are trying to reach me. Uh, and we can talk uh, from that perspective and, and uh, make a connection there. Uh, because Excellent. I, and I'm happy to speak with, um, with, any, with anyone, whether that's a one-on-one or whether that's a keynote, I'm here. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Well, um, to our Rich Black Women listeners, all of our RBWs, you know that you can reach us on Instagram at, at Rich Black Women, on Facebook at, at Rich Black Women. Share this podcast with your flossy posse, your family, your coworkers, your girls. Find us on Anchor, of course, right here, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review. 
we appreciate your words of encouragement. And remember to live richly. Okay.